When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is your host, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DeGorio, for today's podcast. I'll be doing my 31 Days of Horror. This is me talking about my favorite horror movies all the way up until Halloween. I'm not going to be doing a countdown this time or anything like that since we're so close to Halloween. But I'm going to be talking about a movie that came out in 1998. That movie is called Disturbing Behavior. Then after that, I'm going to be flashing back to the 80s. That's right. I'm going to be doing a Ghostbusters movie review uh, for that. And then after that, I'm going to be doing a Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors review. And then after that, I'm going to be doing a Castle Rock anthology review. This is actually from Hulu, which is also based off the Stephen King town or city that he actually created in his books that centered around the characters as well. And this is the second season of Castle Rock to where they're actually introducing Annie from Misery, but they're actually doing something quite different than what I expected them to do, because otherwise, if they didn't do anything different, it would be like a paint-by-the-numbers Misery type of TV show and stuff like that, and they're doing a little bit of a twist on it. I didn't really watch season one that much, because I didn't really care for it, but considering the fact it's an anthology series, therefore, I can actually watch it, watch season one without having to watch season two. So, I'll be doing a review on that. Then... I'm actually going to be doing another re- another thing with Hulu. It's actually another anthology series, but it's called Into the Dark. It's where they're actually telling you different types of horror movies and stuff like that, horror stories and stuff like that. So one of those horror stories is called Into the Dark. The other one is called Uncanny Annie. And then the other one is called I'm Just Fucking With You. So that's what I'm going to be talking about for today's episode for this podcast. So let's go on ahead, strap in, and let's do this. So as I mentioned before, this movie, Disturbing Behavior, came out in 1998. It had a budget of $15 million. It only made $7.5 million in July. I don't know what opened up against it or anything like that, but that's not a really good sign that this movie was successful at the box office. But I did manage to rent it on VHS whenever it came out, and I fell in love with the movie. So, it's a simple premise. It came out in the late 90s. There's not really a slow burn type of movie or anything. It's clocks in at 88 minutes. So, pretty much what you see is what you get. It's about these teenagers trying to survive a school where they mind con- where teachers mind control the students into being part of this Blue Ribbons group. And, basically, if you don't fit in with society or what they consider the norm, what the school teachers do is they go on ahead, they call it the... Uh, the students' parent, uh, parents, and they have a parent-teacher conference, and then they sign them up for the Blue Ribbons group. Nothing, everything seems okay and everything because hey, every every parent wants what's best for their kid. They want them to have straight A's. They want them to be able to study. They want them to be able to have a good group of kids to where they don't have to worry about them. 
And that's why they they sign these kids up for the Blue Ribbons group. But there's a catch. There's a glitch inside that system to where if something something goes off with them, they wind up killing other students. And that's kind of a little suspense aspect to this whole entire thing because you're not sure why they're getting why this malfunction is actually happening. But it's actually happening, and they're actually killing other students that are not in that clique or anything like that. Even the town is in on it, the cops are in on it, and some of the parents are in on it. But anyways, then you also have, like I said, you have a group of kids that are outcasts. You have your jo- you have your jocks, you have your blue ribbons group, you have your punk rock skating group, you have your you pretty much any group that you feel like that you're going to be a part of that you feel like that you fit in there's that group and you know what that actually makes me think back on high on my high school and everything else too because we used to have clicks we used to have the redneck group the headbanging group the punk rock group we used to have all that stuff and you know what I don't really try and watch a movie to where I can compare myself with that character or anything like that. It just happens to land that way to where I start thinking about certain things. And then, therefore, I wind up I wind up thinking back to those days. But anyways, this is also the first introduction to Katie Holmes, which is actually my crush that I had when I was a teenager. But what I love about this movie is the soundtrack to it. Then also wondering how are these kids going to come up on top... And you actually have these two kids that move into, t- into this town, and the guy that's part of the outcast group is telling them, hey, look, Steve, these kids are being mind-controlled, and the parents are actually the ones who are actually signing these kids up to be part of this mind-control group without even acknowledging the fact that they're what they're doing to their kids. And Steve is like, I don't think that's true or anything like that, up until the point where the leader of that outcast group winds up being part of the Blue Ribbons group because he doesn't fit in with the norm or what the teachers consider norm, and he becomes part of the Blue Ribbons group. And then after that, Steve and Rachel, which is played by Katie Holmes, has to go in and try and figure out what's going on and can they actually save their friend. And by that time, it's actually too late. They're actually doing a little bit of a mystery type of deal, wondering what's going on. There has to be something more to this whole entire thing. They go into a mental hospital. They wind up finding out a bunch of other stuff that goes on within that whole entire school system and and also, too, with the cops. And I'm just going to tell you this. If you're looking for a good suspense type of movie where you're in also kind of like has a little bit of sci-fi feel to it because of the whole mind control thing, I strongly recommend Disturbing Behavior. It's a lot of fun. The soundtrack is good. The flies, we got you where we want you. You also have a couple of other songs that are on the soundtrack. That's actually a lot of fun. I had fun with uh, actually owning the soundtrack and stuff like that. So... If you love this type of this movie or whatever, go ahead and check it out. If you haven't seen it before, check that out. Because I strongly recommend Disturbing Behavior. Now I'm going to talk about Ghostbusters. This movie stars Dan Aykroyd, Bill Murray, Ernie Hudson, and Harold Ramis. And let me just tell you this. If you're looking for an all-star comedic group that where the chemistry actually flowed well together and stuff like that, you're going to love Ghostbusters. Yes, some of the special effects might feel outdated, and stuff like that, but, you know, it's actually a fun little comedy, dark comedy type of movie with a little bit of horror flavor to it, and basically you have these professors that winds up losing their jobs at this university, and then they decide, you know what, we saw this ghost up inside the library, down in the basement, 
and this little paranormal activity. So let's go on ahead and make a building to where we can actually make a business out of this so the way we can catch ghosts. And that's how Ghostbusters was formed. They wind up making a fire, abandoned fire station for for their Ghostbuster business. Annie Potts plays the secretary. She doesn't believe in the fact that there's even ghosts or anything like that. She's just in there for the paycheck, pretty much. That's what I'm getting from her character. Or at least that's what it seems. And then, of course, you also have the hearse. That's actually their car to pick up these ghosts and stuff like that. And then they also have a machine to actually trap the ghosts into this trap. And then they also set that trap into this other thing to where the ghost can't get out. And let me just say this. If you're looking for a good comedy with Rick Moranis in it, and he actually likes Diane. Diane is actually played by Sargoni Weaver. This guy is a dork. <laughs> He's a geek at best. Because every single time whenever he tries to hit on Diane, trying to get some type of confidence in himself to go out with her or something like that, he always locks himself out of the out of the apartment. Diane's not really into him or anything like that, but in his mind, you know... He wants to still try and be with her, even though he doesn't have a shot at actually being with her. And then everything starts going haywire, too, because her building was actually one of those buildings that are haunted back in the 1800s, I believe. And Zol is actually the main protagonist of this whole entire thing of why they're having so much ghost activity. Then once um, the cat gets lit, lit, lit loose, well, a statue gets uh, comes to life, and then next thing you know, Rick Moranis becomes possessed by this thing, he becomes the key master, Diane becomes the person that he has to mate with, pretty much, to make this thing happen, and let me just tell you, the chemistry between all these characters, Ernie Hudson is in this movie, like I mentioned, he plays Winston, Winston doesn't even think that these this is even happening either, he, they think that these guys are a couple of whack jobs or whatever, but he's in there for a paycheck. He needs the job really bad, just like any pots. So he gets suckered in. But once he finds out that these guys are legit, he pretty much goes with it where that he has to go ahead and try and trap these ghosts. And my other favorite part is the stupid douchebag that tries to get them shut down in this movie. And the part where Bell Murray's character turns around and says, Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. I swear. If I was in the movie theaters in the 1980s and singing that line, I would have been cracking up laughing during that time. I'm surprised that the actors themselves didn't crack up laughing whenever that line was actually said. But it was perfectly well executed, perfectly well planned. It was actually really good to see that line actually play out. Then there's also uh, Vakement, too, played by... Dan Aykroyd, and let me just say this, I love that character though too, he actually has uh, sex with a ghost and everything, has oral sex with it, and also too, she winds up sleeping with him, and there that also plays out at the very end of the movie as well, but if you're looking for a good comedy, good dark comedy with a lot of chemistry between the actors and stuff like that, I strongly recommend Ghostbusters, it's a lot of fun. I really had a lot of fun watching this, whether as part of the whole Halloween countdown or not. And I actually watched this movie, I don't know, maybe every single time that it's on TV. <clears throat> but that's what I recommend for the 31 Days of Horror. Now I'm going to drop down to Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, 1987. Now, this is my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. It's the third in the franchise, of course. And you're dealing with these kids in this mental institution and stuff like that because the parents think that they're mentally 
something go, is going on with them mentally because they won't go to sleep. They're staying up all hours of the night and stuff like that. Nancy is actually, from the very first movie, she winds up finding out that is there something deeper than what it's, than what's going on. Come to find out, she realizes that Fred Cougar is behind the reason why they can't sleep, why there's murders going on and stuff like that. And what I like about the fact is, too, they wind up taking Nancy and making her a psychiatrist. And she's actually trying to help them cope with their dreams. And also, I like the fact that they actually have Lawrence Fishburne in this movie, too, because he plays like an orderly, but he cares for these kids. He loves the kids. And that's something that we haven't seen in the 1980s, where you actually have a secondary character that actually cares about the of these main characters at all. But that's what I love about Nightmare on Elm Street is the fact that you actually have the secondary character that's actually there for the for the kids and actually loves and cares for them. And then, of course, like I said before, she's actually teaching them how to conquer their fears with Fred Cougar, how to fight Fred Cougar, and their and their dreams. One of the ones that I like is the fact that they they actually use one part where the kid is in a wheelchair and he's into D and I'm a huge D&D geek and everything too and the whole fact is he can actually walk and everything because of the fact that he's in, he's dreaming that he can actually walk and he actually thinks that he's a wizard so he thinks his magic is actually going to work against Fred Cougar but you know of course the number one he always uses their fear against them to make them die and that's one thing that they don't they don't realize is the fact that he knows their weaknesses they know he knows where they're weak at and the weakness for him is the wheelchair and he can't stand the fact that he's in a wheelchair and everything of all things and of course you know it doesn't end well with that kid with uh that's actually the wizard another thing that actually happens is where you actually have a character where his veins actually pop out and everything while he's dreaming he's sleepwalking and he's balancing himself with his veins and then all of a sudden he's like a puppet with Freddy and everything and Freddy's operating him and then all of a sudden he cuts the cord he winds up dying committing suicide and then you also have another thing too that winds up happening where you actually have this heroin junkie that is in there but she's trying to conquer her fears and stuff like that with heroin trying to recover from heroin addiction and then he uses that against her because she's supposed to be this tough punk looking girl and everything and then he uses that against her everything that they try to use in their dream and in their dreams and everything he's using it against them i love the fact that they're thinking of ways to actually fight against him rather than just being the victim to freddie so i like that aspect of it that's a matter of fact why this is actually my favorite ho- horror movie to watch because of the third installment of Nightmare on Elm Street whenever they're trying to fight up against Freddy. And I also love the whole entire junkyard thing too as well where they actually have to go where Nancy's father actually has to go to the junkyard and uncover Freddy's bones and try to make him rest finally. And then there's some stuff that actually goes down in that junkyard that creeps you out. Everything about this movie is still creepy. It still has a little bit of cheesiness to it. It has that scary factor to it. If you're into the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, I strongly recommend um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. I even recommend Part 4 because it's a good continuation of Part 3 to find out what's going on with these characters later on in Part 4. But if you're not into it, I can understand that. But Part 3 is one of those movies that everybody loves and is actually a cult favorite if you think about it. 
Now I'm going to talk about Castle Rock. Castle Rock, as I mentioned before, is actually centered around Stephen King's fictional town in Maine. And it actually takes place in within the books of the Stephen King universe. This is where you have your, like, your It, Misery, stuff like that, Shawshank Redemption. Matter of fact, I watched all the way up to episode 7 of season 1. I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't really care for season 1 that much. Because there was like a lot to digest, a lot that was going on with this thing. And it's dealing with the corruption of Shawshank Redemption. Even after the stuff with Andy Dufresne and Morgan Freeman escaping, there's still stuff going down within Shawshank Redemption himself. The warden winds up killing himself. And then this other woman comes into play and she takes over where that guy left is get left that um that took over. Another thing too is there is a couple of Easter eggs in this Shawshank Redemption episode and the season where the cop actually mentions, well, if you see the two bullet holes in the very back of the office, that's actually where the original warden killed himself. And that's an homage to uh, Shawshank Redemption, the movie, because of what the warden did at the very end of it where he ended his life. And then you also have where the part where Andy Dufresne was actually, in Morgan Freeman's character, Red, was actually at, and that section was actually closed down. <clears throat> And then you have Bill Skarsgård, who's locked up in this whole entire prison. You don't know why he's locked up. Then you also have this lawyer that comes in back into town again after some stuff that he did in his past and everything. It's actually an okay season one, but there's for me, it was like a lot to digest. They threw a lot of Easter eggs at you. There was a lot of supernatural stuff that was actually going on within that one season to where it actually took me out of the show a little bit. But when they announced the fact that they were having Annie from Misery uh, coming coming into season two, I was excited for it because of the fact that Misery was one of those things where you have this crazy woman strap her favorite Arthur to the bed because of the fact that she didn't like the ending to the new book that he was writing. So she winds up kidnapping him, knocks his kneecaps out with a sledgehammer and stuff like that. And it was the most gruesome scene that you probably would ever see in a movie during that time. But, and it's not only that, but I feel like, too, Annie was a little bit of a whack job and stuff like that. But when they said they were going to be doing a, doing a season two for Annie, I was all excited for it because here's the thing. It could go really bad or it can be really good. And the whole fact, too, is I thought this was going to be another but a misery type of season where it's just going to be focusing on Annie. But that's not the case here. Instead, they do to- a total 360 on me. To where it's actually focusing in on Salem's Lot. You're also focusing on Pet Cemetery a little bit. Annie winds up killing somebody. He winds up coming back to life again because of it, because of the whole entire Pet Cemetery thing. She doesn't know what's actually going on in this town of Castle Rock. She just wants what's best for her daughter. Her daughter doesn't want to just keep moving from place to place. Not only that, but Annie is also addicted to medications and everything else because she works in the hospital facility so therefore she's on the run from the cops or whatever and so finally they wind up at castle rock the daughter wants to stay in castle rock because she's actually meeting some friends finally as things are actually getting going her daughter's kind of way her daughter's name is joy and joy is enjoying what she's always meant to be and that is to actually have friends have a life 
finally Annie winds up telling her, hey, look, you can, we can finally live in this town. We can live over here. We can have a good life together. And then stuff goes awry and stuff like that to the point where they would have to try and be back on the run again. And let me just tell you this. The twists and turns of the first three episodes alone, This, the episodes actually air on Wednesday, so season two of episode four will actually air on Wednesday. But from what I love about season two is... The twists and turns, the stuff with Annie, the background of Annie, and then also, too, is dealing with her daughter, which I didn't have a clue that she even had a daughter, unless that's in the book, but I haven't read the book, but all I knew is from the Kathy Bates movie, Misery, and Kathy Bates did a fantastic job, and now this woman is doing a fantastic job of playing uh, Annie and everything, and like I said, this could have gone a different way. It could have been like a paint-by-the-numbers type of thing where you're just focusing on misery itself since that's the main theme but instead you're focusing on other stuff that's going on within the town of Castle Rock and that's what I love about it is the fact it's not mainly focused on Annie otherwise it'd just be maybe 10 5 episodes dealing with Annie and it's just very paint by the numbers type of season and I love that so if you haven't seen Castle Rock season 1 or season 2 I strongly recommend watching season 2 over season 1 but hey if you want to watch season 1 if you're one of those people that are OCD, go ahead and check out season one. So now I'm going to talk about another anthology series that comes on on Hulu. And that series is called Into the Dark. And I watched this one episode called Uncanny Annie. Uncanny Annie is basically a Ouija board type of board game where these kids are playing this thing called Uncanny Annie. In order for you to actually win against Annie, you would have to play this game. And here's the thing, you have to play this game or else she winds up killing you, the ghouls winds up killing you, and stuff like that. So you have no choice but to play this game, otherwise you wind up on the cover of the box. Every single time a character dies, you wind up on the cover of the box. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And then, of course, there's also chance cards that you have to draw, and then you have to do what the chance cards tell you to do. Each character has a dark past of what they've done, what they're ashamed of, and stuff like that, and Uncanny Annie brings that up to light to where they actually have to face their inner demons and stuff like that in order to try and to survive. But, of course, there's also twists and turns with that uh, episode as well. I really liked that episode a little bit. And it's also kind of cheesy, too. kind of has, like, that 90s dialogue type of feel to it where you don't have to take it serious or anything like that. This actually clocks in maybe an hour and 42 minutes long, which is actually pretty interesting for an anthology series type of show. But... If you're into uh, this type of anthology stuff, check out Uncanny Annie, especially for what I just mentioned. Now I'm going to get into this one title called I'm Just Fucking With You. And that's exactly what this episode is called. I'm Just Fucking With You. And this is also part of the Into the Dark anthology series. And let me just say this. When you see this one character come up to this bar who's also owned by, that also has a hotel connected with the bar and everything. He goes up to the bartender. You don't know anything about this character at all other than the fact that he's tired. He wants a hotel room because he's going to a wedding, but we don't know why he's going to this wedding or anything like that. We don't know anything about him other than the fact that he's tired. Then the bar, he goes over to the bartender. The bartender says, yeah, you can go in here and give me 80 bucks. You get your hotel room. Then all of a sudden, the the bartender who owns the hotel room and everything tells him, ah, you didn't give me the money for the hotel room or anything like that. 
He goes, yes, I did. I gave you the money. Look in your pockets. He opens up his pockets. There's no money there. And he's now thinking to himself, did I actually give him the money or did I not give him the money? Because he knows that he actually gave him the money. But now it's like a psychological thing. And now he's thinking, then all of a sudden the bartender tells him, I'm just fucking with you. You gave me the $80. So he gives him the keys and everything. Next thing you know, the bartender's doing a bunch of crazy pranks on him. He's wound up. The guy who's going to see, uh, going to this wedding and everything is also waiting on his sister to come in and everything too. And of course, like I said, this manager winds up doing a bunch of stuff to him to where he's wound up doing a bunch of pranks overnight. He's exhausted. His sister is also another thing too that winds up happening is he's not sure if the guy actually did something to his sister because of the fact that he said that uh, his sister Rachel was supposed to be there. He goes, no, your sister hasn't come in yet or anything like that. She hasn't called. And he didn't even tell the guy that his sister's name is Rachel, but somehow or another, he knows that his sister's name is Rachel. So that freaks him out even more. So he calls the cops, and all of a sudden, the cop, of course, it's a small town where everybody knows everybody. And then come to find out, you're wondering where the story is actually going to go because of the fact that, okay, what's, what's the real deal here with I'm just fucking with you other than this bartender slash hotel clerk screwing around with this guy doing pranks on him? There's just got to be something more. And there is a lot more to that bartender than meets the eye. And I'm not going to get into any spoilers, <clears throat> but that's actually part of probably one of my favorite episodes that they have actually done for Into the Dark. So if you're into that type of anthology series, if you're into some type of 1980s nostalgia and ni- late 90s movies and stuff like that, check out those. Check out Into the Dark. Check out Castle Rock. Tell me what you guys think about Castle Rock. Send me a voicemail message. I'll have that in the script descriptions below once I'm done with this. And... You know what? I'm actually going to end this right now. I was supposed to do a couple of more things that I wanted to say and do, but my voice is kind of going out because of my sinuses. But you know what? I'm going to try again tomorrow, so I'm going to end it right here. I hope everyone has a good night and has a good day. Until next time, bye-bye.